Today we're starting a series called Marriage that's going to be really long. It's going to be two weeks. Two weeks on marriage, we fear that's enough, right? That's all we need. No, we, uh, we, we had this kind of period in the midst of as we were praying through, thinking through the calendar of a couple of weeks here. And as we looked over some things that we felt God was laying on our heart, some things that I felt God was laying on my heart to speak about, marriage was at the forefront. And so I'm going to talk to you this week, but next week you're going to have a really special treat. Because we have had a couple join our church in the last few months, um, Ben and Stephanie Bruce, who also are marriage conference speakers. They speak at conferences about marriage, and next Sunday, they're going to give their testimony and their discussion about marriage, and I'm really, really excited for you to hear them. Uh, Ben and Stephanie have been teaching some of our discipleship classes already. Ben has been on staff in churches, currently works in Sumner County Schools, and Stephanie works for the Children's uh, Tennessee Baptist Children's Home. She works with them, and so I'm really excited for you to to hear from them. But as we're thinking about marriage, um, I, I got to thinking about weddings. Now, one of the things as a pastor that you do, um, there are lots of things that come with being a pastor, lots of things that um, besides just this Sunday morning experience uh, of speaking on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or Sunday night or whatever it may be, there are lots of other things that come with it. One of the things that I get to be a part of more than most people in life is weddings. Do you remember your wedding, those of you that are married? Right? How many of you got married in a church? How many of you did not get married in a church? We're just going to judge for a minute. That's all right. No, I'm joking, joking. All right. You know, the trend now is not to get married in churches. Most people are not getting married in churches. We had a big uh, wedding here. When I, when I got here, this is a trend that's happened even in the last few years. When I got here um, 11 years ago, we were having five, six, seven weddings. We were having people call about weddings all the time, people that weren't even members of the church calling about weddings. We've had one wedding in a year because most weddings don't happen in churches anymore. It's just kind of a different thing. All right. So anybody here elope? Nobody. Oh, we got some right there. All right. Y'all, y'all decide to come to this service once in a while, and then there it is, right? <laughs> so we got some elopers. My, my in-laws uh, eloped. They, in fact, were not supposed to get married. They were the witnesses to friends that were eloping. That's my father-in-law that's a pastor, Phil Jett, and his wife, Marilyn. They were going to Corinth, Mississippi to get married. I don't know if y'all knew this, but people used to drive to Corinth to get married in West Tennessee and West Kentucky, and they were driving down to witnesses, and on the way, they decided they'd just get married too, which made for an awkward conversation with family when they got home, right? Just on the way. You know, I thought y'all were just going to, well, we, we witnessed them, they witnessed us. We all witnessed each other, right? Weddings are uh, always an interesting mix there. Such hope, such joy, such stress and tension, and sometimes things go great, and sometimes they don't. I saw some pictures this week I thought we'd just look at for a minute about when moments in weddings didn't always go well. And so some of them are obvious, so I don't know if you can see that or not, but they're on a pier, and the pier is going off. So they're all about to be as wet as my arm is after the baptism a minute ago. They're all about to be it. Or, or the next one here is a nice picture of dad apparently stepped on the veil and yanked it. My favorite thing in the whole picture is the 
uh, groom's face. He doesn't really know what to do there, and he's looking right at the camera. But sometimes the pictures look good until you see the big picture. So, for instance, this picture, doesn't that look sweet? It's a young couple radiating beauty. But then you zoom out on the picture and you realize there's a guy planking at the top of them, one of the groomsmen. Y'all see that above their heads? Laid across, right? Or this one, this next one, this one looks, isn't that sweet? Look at that, it's a cute couple. This is obviously from the the 90s because it looks like our wedding attire a little bit. And then you go, oh, we got a little girl about to... About to bite the dust there. I don't know what's going on. Or you get this picture, which I I love. Isn't that cute? The first kiss picture. And then you zoom out and you realize the other groomsmen are not as excited about that picture. I think next one is one of my favorites in the whole thing. I mean, look, at that's gorgeous, isn't it? It's a horse, a bride riding presumably to the altar to get married on this beautiful horse. But when you zoom out, you realize it's a couple's picture, and for some reason he's on a, he's on a pony. Not real sure what. They must have not reserved the right horses that day. Or this one. This, this looks like a, doesn't that look like it's the normal wedding picture there? I mean, you think, what else could there be? That's in full frame. Well, sometimes wedding photographers get a little too creative with their edits, and uh, it appears that uh, they're overlooking their own wedding like, uh, okay, y'all don't think that's funny. I think that's hilarious, sir. Evil overseers looking at themselves while they're getting married. All right, here's the, here's the last one, because even famous people have problems sometimes. And, I mean, y'all know this one, right? Y'all remember this, the wedding everybody watched. Uh, all around the world. People got up at 3 a.m. in the morning to watch this wedding. And when you zoom out on the picture, though, the girl in the bottom left-hand corner is not as excited about the wedding. Now, here's the thing. All right, you can take that off. You can take that, that picture off. Here's the thing. The weddings are really important to people. I don't know, did you all know that? Did you know that in 2016, the average wedding cost $35,000? $35,000. Anybody here get married for less than that? I did. I got, I got married for less than that. $35,000. And here's what I thought about as I thought about the wedding day. And this is something I try to talk to couples. For couples, for me to marry couples, to be the officiant, for, um, to, have them in our, to have in our church, they must go through premarital counseling. That's part of the requirements. And one of the things we talk about is it's great to prepare for the wedding but you really need to prepare for the marriage, right? And couples will spend $35,000. I just got to thinking how little that has to do with the rest of their marriage. Susan and I, this past um, July, have been married 20 years. I counted up how many days we've been married as of today, and we have been married 7,358 days. That sounds like a lot, Right? Do you realize that if you even count the day before our wedding and the wedding day, so you count rehearsal and wedding day, those two days represent 0.027% of our marriage. 0.027%. 
of our marriage. If you've been married, anybody here been married 40 years? Anybody been married 40 years? If you count your wedding and your rehearsal the day before. Now, I realize some of you got married 40 years ago. Rehearsals weren't as big of a deal. Sometimes you just kind of got together and did it, right? If you count those as two days, that represents 0.013% of your marriage. Well, but that's if you've been married a long time. Do you realize after one year, it's less than a percent of your marriage? 0.54. Once you've been married five years, it's 0.1. People spend a lot of time and money and focus on the wedding, but they don't think about the big picture of the marriage. I read a beautiful picture this week of what somebody hopes to see when their lives wind down. And he said, I love to picture my wife and I sitting around a fire, 85 to 90 years old, still in love, surrounded by children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And he said, I like to focus my life to what it requires to get to that picture. But what even if that picture is too short-sighted. What if even the picture, and some of you are there, some of you are at that place where you've been married for 40 or 50 years, and you've got kids, you've got grandkids, you've got great-grandchildren, you've got a beautiful family that surrounds you, and maybe Christmas is the time you all get together, you go to them, and it's to the point now where you go to them because it's too big, and you look at that and you think, man, we love our lives. But what even if that picture is too short-sighted of a picture of what marriage is really about. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity in our hearts. I I don't know if y'all know this or not. If not, I probably need to let you know this again. This life is not all that there is. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? This is not all that there is. There is more to come. In fact, this is the dress rehearsal. This is the Friday night rehearsal for the real thing that happens the next day. It's not even a blip on the map of what is to come. 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 1 says this, For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, and let me, let me, a little secret, It will be if the Lord tarries is coming. If the Lord doesn't come back, your tent's going to be destroyed. Okay? Even if it's destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens not made with hands. We live this life as a dress rehearsal for the next. What if we treated our marriages as dress rehearsals for the way we interact with others in eternity? What if we treated our marriages as dress rehearsals for eternity? What if my goal in marriage is, as Ephesians 5 talks about, that I were to love my wife to the point like Christ loved the church and could present her wholly to him? To love her so well that when I get to heaven and we're standing next to each other, we'll talk about that in a minute, presenting her to the Father, that I can say that I did everything in my power to help develop her into the woman that God intended for her to be, to enjoy eternity forever. Now, let me just say, first of all, 
Scripture makes it clear there's no marriage in heaven. How do we know that? Because Jesus said it. And here's just a little thing. If Jesus said it, I believe it. Right? Jesus said that in heaven there won't be marriage. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to know Susan because Scripture also teaches us we'll know each other in heaven. And I don't have a clue how all that's going to work. But here's what I can guarantee you. It's not going to be worse than it is now. And my relationship with Susan will be better than it has ever been because we will see each other as we are in perfection. And it may not be in marriage, but there's going to be love there that hasn't even been experienced here on this earth. And my goal is that when we get there, that I'm able to present her as her husband presenting her to Christ. That she's able to talk about the ways that she helped me develop into the people that God called us to be. Now, here's the thing. We don't earn our way into heaven. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't earn our way to heaven. But Scripture also makes pretty clear that when we get to heaven, there are going to be varying degrees of rewards when we get there. Now, Saying that, heaven is going to be unbelievable no matter what stage you're at. You're not going to get there and go, man, I ended up in the worst part of heaven. Can I tell you something? Even if you do, guess where you are? Heaven. Right? I tell this story sometime on our honeymoon. Susan and I, we went to Hawaii. We stayed at some new resort, Ihilani Resort and Spa. Our travel agent, the lady Phyllis that helps us book, has helped us book Brazil trips for the last 25, 30 years, helped us find this little spot. She said, it's a new place. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. I got you a deal on it. We got there. Our room got upgraded because you're on... I'm just determined. You ought to tell everybody you're on your honeymoon every time you go anywhere because they upgraded us to first class. They upgraded us to best uh, ocean view room. We're sitting down there at the pool at the man-made lagoon overlooking the Pacific Ocean, lounging in chairs, and everybody around us is talking about their vacations in the Mediterranean and about their trips to Europe and about their yachts on the eastern seaboard. And I looked at Susan and said, we are the poorest people that have ever stayed in this place. But guess what? We were still there, right? But my goal is to live a life that matches where we're supposed to be, what God has intended for me to be, and to live a life in my marriage that leads us both to that place. So here's what I want to talk about today. And we're going to, I haven't given you a scripture to go to because we're going to kind of jump around on scripture today. I don't do that very often, but we're going to jump around today. I want to ask the question. What does living a marriage with the big picture in mind, and when I say big picture, I mean eternity. What does that look like? How does that operate? The first thing is living with eternity in mind helps you place your marriage in the right priority. Your marriage is not the first priority in your life. If you live with your marriage being the top priority of your life, You are missing the mark. Now, this is why it's important to think of eternity as opposed just to that 85, 90-year-old person. Because if you're thinking, how do I get to 85 to 90 and live that life surrounded by kids and grandkids, you can focus your life so much on your family that you're missing your real intention in life. Your marriage is not the first priority of your life. Well, then what is the first part of your life? Well, we're in church, so this is going to be a pretty easy answer to guess. But Psalm 111.10 tells us 
that to fear God is the beginning of wisdom. And all who follow his instructions have good insight. In case we missed that one, that's Psalm 111.10. Proverbs 1.7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And in case we missed that one, Proverbs 19.23 tells us that the fear of the Lord leads to life. Can you see a theme happening here? When you live with your marriage in light of eternity, you realize that the most important thing you can do for your marriage is to live your life dedicated to your Lord as first priority. First and foremost, first priority is to fear God. You cannot expect to have a great marriage, a good marriage, without a great relationship with the Lord. You just can't do it. There are going to be seasons of your life in your marriage when it's going to be more difficult than you imagined when you were taking those pictures on your wedding day. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? That's all right to say amen. We're not going to get in trouble with that one. There are going to be days in your marriage that are going to be more difficult than you ever imagined when you were pronouncing your love to one another on a church platform or in a barn, or in front of the justice of the peace, or whatever. You ever heard any vows that say, man, it's going to get hard and tough some days? Now, we say it, right? And for better or for worse. But nobody imagines the worse. They just think of the for better. In sickness and in hell. Till death do us part. You can't have a great marriage without a great relationship with the Lord. And living in light of eternity means that we focus our priority on marriage where it should be. And that is that it is secondary to our relationship with God. And here's why in marriage you need a relationship with the Lord that is so secure. Because relationships with the Lord does three things that benefit your marriage. First of all, it develops your character. Sometimes couples get married and they'll say things to each other like, I just hope you never change. You know what that's called? Foolishness. That's what it's called. They're going to change that night. And the next morning. And the next month. You do too. Yeah, you do, Glenn. People change. And as you change throughout your life, you hope that as your relationship with the Lord improves, the character of your soul improves, and the better you become in following the Lord, the better you become as a spouse. And the better you become as a spouse, the better you love your spouse. Hopefully they are also seeking the Lord. They become better people. They become better at following the Lord. They become a better spouse. And as you grow towards the Lord, as you grow towards each other, you've determined you're better at marriage because you're better in your relationship with the Lord. Even through difficult times. In fact, in the difficult times, you remember that James talks about the fact that we count it all joy when we face struggles because in that, they develop perseverance. And perseverance develops character. Secondly, your, your marriage with the Lord as you're moving with your priority to fear God, as you're moving towards your priority to love Him, as that is your top priority, it also protects your marriage. Francis Chan, a pastor, says 
that a reality we have to face today is that sin is more accessible and acceptable than it's ever been. And he cites two specific areas that impact our relationship in marriage. The pornography epidemic in our society and the ease with which people can contact other members of the opposite sex for flirting. He said all of that can be done in anonymity and under the veil of darkness when years ago, if you were going to participate in those activities, you had to do it publicly. But today, those two that are the most detrimental things you can do in a relationship to break trust are easily accessible. And in some areas of our country, not just acceptable, accessible, they're acceptable. And as you draw closer to the Lord in your priority with Him, He is going to steer you away from those things. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't real issues there, and that sometimes people struggle with that. What I'm saying is that the solution is found oftentimes in going to the Lord. The third reason is that you have to go to the Lord first, that that priority has to be there, is because following the Lord teaches you how to love. Can I say this? You will never be offended by your spouse more than you have offended God. And He loves us anyway. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He didn't love us a little bit. He didn't love us a hug bit. You know what I mean? Like, let me give you a side hug just to say I still love you. He loved us to death. Literally. And when you're in the midst of a difficult season of marriage with your spouse, when you're in the midst of figuring out how to love your spouse, the truth is that watching the example of what Christ has done for us draws us closer to him. So how do you do that? You prioritize your life through prayer and Bible study. You take time to talk with each other about the personal goals you have for seeking the Lord. And you focus on your relationship with the Lord. Now saying that, that does not put you off the hook with prioritizing your marriage. I said you put it in proper priority. The first priority in your life is your relationship to the Lord. After that, focusing on eternity means you prioritize your marriage over every other human relationship. Every other human relationship is secondary to your marriage. Genesis chapter 2, when God creates Adam and Eve, right? He creates Adam. He looks at Adam. Adam names all the animals. He still doesn't find one that's suitable. God pulls the rib out, makes Eve, shows each other, man, woman, they're together. And God blesses the marriage, the first marriage he blesses between Adam and Eve. And he says to them, this is to be a pattern. This is to be a thing. That a man and a woman shall leave their families and cleave to one another. They shall bond to one another and form one flesh, one union, one family. But here's the reality. Marriages don't just happen. 
Good marriages don't just happen. In fact, Adam and Eve are an example of that, right? Genesis chapter 2, man, that's the wedding day. That's awesome. Genesis chapter 3, everything falls apart. It takes work. After Genesis 3, particularly, it takes work for us to make marriages happen. Proverbs 13.10 says this. Arrogance leads... You can go back to that. Is that where it was? Maybe you didn't have that. That's not the right proverb down at the bottom. It's the right verse, not the right reference. Proverbs 13.10 says, Arrogance leads... There we go. I'm giving Steve all kinds of mixed signals up here. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife, but wisdom is gained by those who take advice. All right? So let me, first of all, let me clarify something. I'm the one that put those in, so that's my fault on the Proverbs. But that's the right verse I want you to hear. Arrogance leads to nothing but strife. When you look at that word in the original language, the word arrogance there can mean presumption. Just assuming it's going to happen. Arrogance is tied to that, but the idea is just presuming that it's going to happen. Presumption, arrogance, pride. Your marriage will require work. You're not going to have a good marriage just because you can say you have a good marriage. You're not going to have a good marriage just because you want a good marriage. You're not going to have a good marriage because you can teach a class on how to have a good marriage. You are going to have to work to have a good, a great marriage. You have to work at it. One of the first realities that you have to come to in marriage, there is a moment in the midst of marriage, all these studies show that somewhere six months to two years into the marriage, they come to a moment they call when expectations go unmet. And you realize, uh uh-oh, the honeymoon is over. Good marriages require work. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Bob, Bob West and I go out and do some visiting, usually on Thursdays when our schedules can make it work. And a couple of weeks ago, we went and saw um, Charlie and Carol Miller. Carol had a little issue with her foot, and we went to see her. And it's uh, been a while since I've been to Charlie and Carol Miller's, but as we looked out the back, if you've ever been to Charlie and Carol's, I'm not inviting you all to their house. They'd have to do that. But I'm just, if you've ever been and you look out their backyard, it's amazing. Garden and flowers, right? And you know my first thought when I looked back there and I saw their backyard and how amazing it is with the flowers and the garden and they talked about the produce they get out of there and you see the beauty that's back there. You know what my first thought was? Man, they put a lot of work into that thing. You didn't, I didn't immediately think, man, that just happened. Like I didn't think Charlie walked in one day and went, Carol, you're not going to believe this. We have a full garden and flowers in our backyard. It just happened. I've let my yard just happen, and ain't nothing like that showed up. I did get some salad greens, poke salad greens. It's a weed, all right? Got some onions, got some onions in my yard. I'm growing an onion garden in the back a little bit, right? I mean, like the weed onions that pop up around here, right? Some dandelions, daffodils, got lots of those. It takes work. It doesn't just happen. Anytime in life you see somebody that's built a business from scratch, you think, man, they had to work at that. 
Somebody that wrote a book. Somebody that lowered the handicap in golf. Somebody that worked at it again and again and again and again and again and again. It took work. Now, somebody will always say, but what about the kid I saw that could play Mozart at three? They're on 60 Minutes because they're weird. Right? Like that, when I say weird, I don't, mean, I don't mean like that's not normal. You don't wake up playing Mozart. You've got to spend your life learning to play Mozart. Y'all know I'm musically inclined, like I'm a really good singer and can play all kinds of instruments and all that. I decided in college I was going to play the guitar. had a friend that was a, lived next door that was a good guitar player. I was going to take lessons with him. He's going to give them free. We were in college. Neither one of us had any money. I took one lesson, and my fingers hurt, and I quit. Because learning to play the guitar is hard, right? Good requires work. And when you put your priority on the Lord because you are looking for eternity, the second thing you have to realize is you have to put work into your relationship. And one of the things that I hate in our society, and I don't use that word lightly, one of the things I hate in our society is the over-romanticizing of marriage. The hallmark movies of marriage. They're all the same movie. I mean, we have two extremes in our society. We got Hallmark movies where everybody falls in love and lives heavily ever after. And we got Lifetime movies where husbands and wives are killing each other. We got to find somewhere in the middle. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? We're going to start a new movie thing called Lifemark. And it's going to be a mixture of the two. Good marriages aren't like height. You're not just born with it. You don't win the marriage lottery. There is no such thing. It takes work. Look at Proverbs 15, 17, maybe. Whatever the next one. There it is. I got that one right. Better a meal of herbs. Does that sound good? Just eating herbs. Like, I like herbs on my steak, but just herbs. Better is a meal of herbs where there is love than a fattened ox than a ribeye with hatred. Well, that's good, isn't it? That'll be in the Bible or something like it is, right? You got to work at it and you're working towards love so that your life is enjoyable. Proverbs 18.22 says this. A man who finds a wife finds a good thing. I tried to win you guys some points and you didn't amen there at all. I mean, guys, that would have been I'd like set it up on a tee for you right there. Right, right. We're we going to try it again. We see if you get the message here. A man who finds a wife finds a good thing. All right. Seven of you got it. All right. And obtains favor from the Lord. The point is, listen, some of you in this room aren't married. And sometimes God has a special calling on people's lives. Sometimes you, God has a calling on your life that marriage is not a part of your life. For me, marriage was necessary to turn me into the man God called me to be. Because Susan has been the best sanctifier in my life. I don't mean that in a bad way or even a joking way. I mean that honestly. Learning to love her, learning to live with her, having her see me and call me out and point out good things and bad things in my life has been one of the best sanctifying influences on my life. 
And when you find that, you treasure it. You prioritize it. How do you know if you're not? How do you know if you're neglecting one another? First of all, if you just give one word answers to questions. Now, guys, I know that's our favorite kind of answer. But work on it. When you refuse one-on-one time with each other, when you intentionally hurt and don't care, and when you don't bring good news to your spouse first. So how do you prioritize your marriage? Well, you have difficult conversations about good and bad. You pay attention to one another. You pursue fun together, things you enjoy doing. Have fun together and resist laziness that comes. When you focus on eternity, you put your marriage in the right position of priority. And then secondly and finally, When you focus on eternity, it helps you to focus on your mission in marriage. I believe that God brought marriage into the world for several reasons. Companionship, he tells us at the very beginning, for Adam and so that he had a helpmate. Secondly, to complement one another as we walk through this path of life together. I mentioned it a minute ago, the sanctifying influences that living together that closely, that intimately with one another over a period of time can do. But it's also because he is intending for your marriage to be part of the grander mission, the big picture of taking the gospel to the world. One of my favorite reality shows to watch, which if you think, if you ask me my favorite reality shows, that is a very short list. One of my favorite reality shows to watch is a, a show called The Amazing Race. Anybody ever watch The Amazing Race? Right? Okay. Amazing Race is they put couples together. It's not always married couples, not always dating couples. Sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's brothers and sisters, sometimes it's co-workers. But they took couples together, two people together, and they send them off literally on a race around the world where they have to accomplish tasks as they go around the world trying to accomplish it. And I can almost tell in episode one who's going to be out early because they're fighting all the time about how to read a map about what they're doing in that moment, about how the task is being done. And you can almost tell immediately. Now, sometimes somebody will slip through and they have a dysfunctional relationship so long that they figured out how to work that way. But you can almost tell early on who's going to make it to the end because they're focusing on the task at hand and the big picture. Here's the thing. If I'm living my life dedicated to taking the gospel to the nations, taking the gospel to my neighborhood, taking the gospel to this part of the world that God has placed me in, if Susan and I are living our lives focused on that, there's not a lot of time to argue about little stuff. We may disagree on it, but we realize in the significance of eternity, it's nothing. And so we focus on what God's called us to do. First of all, to lead our family well when it comes to following Jesus. Then to be a part of this church and to lead this church well and what it means to follow Jesus. And then to take it to the world. And when you find a way to serve together, God will honor your marriage. When I think back at those pictures, and we won't put the pictures back up. But you know what question comes to mind as a pastor looking at those pictures? How are they doing now? Right? Now, there's probably some infamy that's come from the fact that their pictures are scattered over the Internet and random pastors around the country are using them on their big screens. How are they doing now? Let me ask you a question. How are you doing? 
first step oftentimes when it comes to any kind of change in your life that needs to be made is to say, we got to do something else. What are you doing today to prepare your wife, your spouse, your husband for tomorrow? How are you living your life in your marriage to prepare for 20 years from now? How are you living your life right now to prepare for the first 10,000 years of eternity? I mean, if medical advances skyrocket, I got maybe a little more than half of the life I've already lived left on this earth. And I know you all look at me and think, man, you're still young. I'm older than I used to be, thanks to you in part, but also because of aging. I'm 42 years old. I'm diabetic, type 1. Advances have made it possible for me to live 30 years with diabetes with no major complications. But the chance of that happening another 42 are pretty small unless medical advances continue to accelerate. Here's the reality. I got whatever time I got left on this earth, 42 years, 12 years, 30 years, 50 years, 20 minutes. Whatever it is I've got left on this earth, I've got to prepare for the rest of my life. Whatever time I've got left in my marriage, I'm getting to prepare for the rest of our lives. And 10,000 isn't a drop in the bucket of eternity. So how are you living within your marriage to prepare for eternity? The big picture. Let's pray together.